broad sweeps. We love to look at life and people in broad sweeps, but when we fail to look at the nuance, when we fail to try to be spiritually discerned, we can actually cause a lot of harm. And when it comes to sitting and suffering, broad sweeps can keep us from catching what God may be up to. 1 Corinthians 2.14 puts it like this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Making broad sweeps as a human is one thing, but if you're trying to follow Jesus' lead, we're invited to something different. And when we don't invite God to bring us to a place of deeper spiritual discernment, we can misinterpret our moments of sitting and suffering or mistreat others who are sitting and suffering. I really appreciate this conversation with Jackie because her life story gives us an opportunity to go deeper than the broad sweeps, to tap into the nuance, and to discern more fully how it is we can love God and love others in the midst of suffering. You're listening to episode 138 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you that that is true right now for Jackie and I as we sit to talk and to talk about you and to explore who you are and who you've been. And right now we want to acknowledge that there's a lot of directions we could go, but we want to invite you to guide this conversation. So we pray that you would take our words and our thoughts, that you would guide us to certain questions or certain answers, whatever will bring us to a place where we are aligning with whatever it is that you want us to experience now and that you might want someone else to hear later. So we trust you with that. We thank you for the privilege of being able to be a part of you working in such a way. So we pray that this conversation honors you and that you are glorified because of it. Let's pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So Jackie, I'm glad that we connected because we actually have already connected. Yeah. Because I got to be on your podcast. <laughs> and I always love the opportunity to continue to connect with people. So it's not this one-off thing, but it's like, no, actually, we are continuing to engage in conversation. And so I'm really excited for whatever God has in store in this. But before we get going, what would you want people who are listening to know about who you are as we start this conversation? Yeah. So I think what people really need to know is I would not be who I am today without God directing my life. I'm known by several titles. I'm known as the Get Hurt Coach. I'm known for the podcast Christian Writing and Speaking. I'm known for a children's ministry I have, a Christian children's empowerment, and as well as for the school that we're building online, Empowerment University for Children. But who I am today is not who I plan to be, but I am so grateful that God has brought me to this point. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the conversation on your podcast. You have a great thing going there. Thanks. That list of things. There's so many ways that God's inviting you to step in from investing in youth to coaching folks who are <laughs> not youth anymore and trying to figure out <laughs> not where I thought I would be in my youth and what's going on. And I imagine in that you engage this idea of suffering in different spaces, but as you've been thinking about this conversation and this idea of sitting and suffering, what's God been bringing to your heart? Man, I think the beginning of this journey is really what has set in my mind. A lot of people don't know that I started my career as an attorney hmm. and I had all these plans for my life. And then I started to see certain things and my deepest desire was to be able to help people. And God answers our deepest desires, sometimes not in the way that we expect him to answer. Mm -hmm. As I was working in this particular job, my last full-time legal position, I just felt like we were processing people through. Mm -hmm. We were not helping as many people as I had hoped. And that desire to just want to help and understanding that this burden was still there and it was just growing more and more every day. I believe that created the space for God to say, okay, it's time for you to make a major move. When God asked me to leave my job, I was not expecting that. I did like the money that I was making and I had just gotten a raise that I desired, but it was absolutely from God. I knew it. I couldn't deny it. It was like right in front of me. It's like, what action are you going to take? And I said, I'm going to do this. People were calling me crazy. 
just questioning what was going on with me just overall. Like, what's wrong? Why would you do this? <laughs> you have a great job. Yeah, I, I'm like, I know, I know, but I'm feeling this burden. And so I make the plans to leave the job. But of course, I have my plan in place that, okay, I've saved up enough money to do this. I have everything lined up. I'm going to be fine. I had a bunch of questions for God, but I was thinking I'm going to be fine. I've saved money. I can live off this money for several months, maybe even to a year and be okay. And so initially he called me into the children's ministry. But right when I started doing the ministry work, I got sick and I kept getting sick. And I did not understand that. And then so quickly, all the money I had saved, thousands of dollars, dwindled so quickly. And I just did not understand, okay, God, why would you call me to this and then allow this to happen in my life? But during that time, God really developed me. And now I see, looking back, and I tell people, even this week I was telling people, I said, everything that I've gone through, I needed to go through to understand who I am, whose I am, and just to really know that I could trust and depend upon him. And so I have suffered in that aspect. It's always my health. And then on top of that, God was like, don't worry about the money. Don't worry about working. And I was thinking, God, this is so hard. You're asking so much of me. But here I am today. And, you know, he said, everything that you lost, you're going to get back. Everything. These last several years, 10 years or so that you've been doing the work that I've asked you to do, you've been faithful. You are going to get it back. And he's opening all of those doors for me to receive exactly that, exactly as he's promised and within a very short time frame. But going through that process at the time, of course, like I said, I just didn't understand it, but it was during the time that I wrote a book that ended up being like, top selling on Amazon when it first came out. And then I'm doing something else with it. And next year, I plan on doing a, like a Bible study series with it. I finished writing that book when I was receiving treatment at the Mayo Clinic. Hmm. And a lot of people don't know that. Wow. But I really couldn't do anything because I was so sick. I was like passing out. Hmm. Just everything was just dysfunctioning. And I was like, what am I going to do while I'm here? And God's like, you're going to write that book. Yeah, <laughs> That's what you're going to do. And so I did finish that book while I was at the Mayo Clinic. And then when I left and came back home, because my prognosis was not that great. Basically, I was like, okay, if you're saying I'm not going to get better, basically you said I'm dying. <laughs> I said, at least let me do it at home among the people that I know. Yeah. And so when I came home, I think most people expected me to rest and sit down, but I was actually motivated. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a book lunch party. <laughs> I did all these events and stuff. And But sitting and suffering, I think people think you have to be depressed. People constantly say, oh, rest, rest, rest. And, and I did rest because I was forced to rest because my body was saying it needed rest. Yeah. But at the same time, God was saying, work in the spiritual. And that's what I did. I wrote a lot. I planned a lot. And now I'm seeing the fruition of all of that. Yeah. You know, I always love stories where someone is in a place where the world would say, wow, you're, you're at the right place. You, you've got this high paying job. You just got the promotion. And then you're like, yeah, but God's saying <laughs> children's <laughs> ministry doesn't pay as big a bucks <laughs> as being an attorney does. Right. And so. I love those stories where it would seem like foolishness, but it's not. Even before you're at the place where you're starting to see the fruition, God has proven himself over and over, not in ways that other people would necessarily see it and get it, but you know. He gives you just enough so that you're like, yeah, I made the right choice to leave that job and to come into this space and to give up all this stuff. And I even think of the timing of what it could have looked like if you had gotten sick while you were still an attorney. Right. And how that would have played out would have been far different than the position that you were in, not just functionally, but internally, it would have seemed disastrous. You would have had all this stress and fear attached. But God had brought you to this place where you were able to still have purpose and write while you're at the Mayo <laughs> Clinic. Right. And it not feel like wasted or lost time. 
I always appreciate those stories. But there's something you said even at the beginning that really got my mind going that taps into this idea of sitting and suffering. And it's that one of the things that led you to consider leaving your role as an attorney was that you had this desire to help people. And yet the nature of the job itself had put you in a place where people were just being cycled through and you felt like you couldn't really sit with them in the space, which is a hard space. If somebody's needing an attorney, they've got hard things going on. And whether they brought those things on themselves or they had those things thrust upon them, it's hard nonetheless. And your desire was to sit with them in that space, but you couldn't. In other words, you were willing to sit with them in their suffering but the nature of your role kept pressing things through. And it made me realize you know, that for a lot of people is one of the hardest elements of sitting and suffering is when you feel like you're just being pushed through, mm. that you feel like you're just being neglected. I don't know. I just feel like there's something really powerful in that. So while you were still in that space with that desire to care for others, but knowing you were limited, how did that impact you internally? What did you do with that? I would say I was able to help a lot of people. So I started off independently and I started in criminal law. I did criminal defense for adults and also I helped people restore their citizenship rights. So those things were so good when I was helping people. Then I was offered a position and I took the position because of the benefits. I was still doing criminal work and I was still helping people and that was good. Some people were wrong for what they did. Some people I was able to get them justice and that was good. Yeah. But the most important part of that was, hey, look at your life. What's going on that you have been placed in this position? What's going on in your mind? So in some ways, I was already coaching people. Yeah, I just yeah. didn't realize that that was what I was doing because I just wanted them to see life in a different way. And I just kept telling them that you can have better. There is hope for you. And then I end up transitioning to juvenile defense. Mm. That was probably the hardest job I've ever had yeah. because I could not sleep at night sometimes thinking about what's happening to the kids. Yeah. Eventually, I left that job because it was just so emotionally taxing for me. Yeah. Because that was one I said, you know, I could see children making effort, but, you know, just not having the support or seeing the abuse that they were suffering. And I was still able to help a lot of people. But once again, I also was sharing with them about looking at their life mm -hmm. and knowing that they had choices, that they did not have to remain in the situation that they were in, that you control what you can control, but what you can't control, you know, pray about it. Just having those very real conversations with them. But the last position I had as an attorney was actually as an administrative law judge. And you're limited by the law. Mm -hmm. I can think of a few cases where I felt like I helped people, yeah. but it was just a matter of, does the law apply? Is this a yes or a no? You couldn't really counsel the people. As attorneys, we're called counselors too, yeah. but you really couldn't counsel the people because you had to look at it very impartially. And it was just like case after case after case, let's process them through. Let's get it done. Yeah. We need to make sure the numbers are right. So when they're reported to the state, it's showing this and that. And so that was a struggle for me because I knew there had to be more. And really, it was at that time that I started noticing the cycle. And basically, the people that were coming before us, people who had child support issues, mm -hmm. people who needed state assistance, all these questions. So we were answering those questions like, do they really need help or do they not need help? And it was all based on numbers within the system. Yeah. But as I'm looking at these individuals who had to keep coming before us, I was thinking, man, some of these people are the same people I've seen who have kids who are in the system. And these are some of the same people that I might have seen when I was doing adult criminal defense. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. There has to be something better that we can do because we got to be able to break those cycles. So my mindset was on that about breaking the cycle and how I could do that. I just didn't really understand how I could do that other than community grassroots efforts. But with what I'm doing now, I see how God interwove that, so to speak, into what I'm doing so I could tell people, hey, you do have better choices available to you. Mm -hmm. And so starting with the children 
and then moving into adulthood. I never thought I would be doing any type of adult ministry. I never planned on even doing children's ministry, just to be honest. I only got into children's ministry initially at my church that I attend because they needed help and there was nobody to take the smallest children mm. and then volunteer till they found the right teacher. Uh-huh. I ended up developing this relationship with the children and now I'm getting ready to watch some of them graduate from high school, mm. which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's where my mindset was. It was like, okay, how can we break this cycle? Yeah. Because it's just generational. And I know people talk about generational curses. And I really look at it as generational habits Mm -hmm. and not being properly equipped to know that you have more choices than what is before you, than what your circumstances is before you. You know, what's interesting is what you're describing taps into, I think, when we're in suffering, what we're looking for and what we need. What you were striving to represent was someone who actually saw and was with people, saw them in their situation, walked with them to figure out a way through. And both on the very pinpointed end of like specific cases, to all the way this broader thing that you're talking about of how do we break these cycles? I'm seeing the same people that I saw when they were a teenager and now they're in adult situation. And I think when we're sitting and suffering, what we desire is for someone to actually see us as a person and to actually look at our situation. But what we can sometimes feel and what we see sometimes when it comes to the justice system is people just make broad sweeps. Mm -hmm. They'll see someone who is charged with a crime. And for a lot of people, They'll just decide that that person probably did it or, well, they look this way. And But your role as an attorney was to say, well, let me actually figure out who this person is. Let me actually figure out what the situation was and let me use my expertise to figure out how they can navigate through this. What is the best path forward? I know they want the path to be this way, but it might not be able to. So you're actually putting the work into being in their situation which isn't your own situation. It's not your situation. Like you, You don't have to be there, but you're choosing to be in that. And I think when we're in the midst of suffering, we're desiring that same thing. Someone to look at us and see us as a real person, as someone made in the image of God, to actually try to understand our hardship, to not make broad sweeps, to not just cast blame on us, to not just give us quick answers and push us through, but to actually help us to figure out how do we journey through this? Why is it so hard for people to be in that space for each other? Because I think it makes you take a look at yourself Mm. and your own thoughts, your overall ideology, maybe what you were taught. And let me say this. Everybody was not innocent. Uh Everybody was not guilty. And I remember even telling a guy, I said, okay, I'm going to negotiate the best deal I possibly can for you. But you're going to jail. (laughs) It's going to be over a year. But I said, while you are there, I really want you to focus on doing certain things and just gave him a list of things so that when you come out of this, you can be in a better position. It forces you to look at people as human. It forces you just from a Christian perspective to look at people as God look at us. We look at these people. They committed this big crime. And they deserve to go to jail. And I'm not saying people don't deserve to be punished. We absolutely need that correction so that we can be better. But at the same time, you're doing something in secret that may not be considered a crime. And you look at each other as different. And it's not so when God looks at us, sin is sin. And he wants all of us to grow. And so as I'm looking at these people, I'm thinking you have the opportunity to grow. You don't have to be what society has said. You don't have to be what your home life has been. Because so many of these people come from broken families. But at the same time, we don't see people promoting family in the same way that was promoted so many years ago. And I would say even among the black community, how just broken things have been because of the way that the criminal system has worked. And how families are separated. It's a difference in how it is among the races. There just is. And people can look at the numbers. But it's important that we have family units and that people are in situations that are feeling whole, that are whole. And as you look at them and see the wholeness, you can see people go off and do great things and all that because they have the love, they have the support, they feel safe. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people that even though they may even commit a crime, I could see in them where they didn't feel safe. 
where they felt like I had to do this to make sure this happened. I could take care of my kid or something. And it's no excuses, Mm -hmm. but it's just the way that people grew up, their mindset, even some people that have been in the church because they just don't know what else to do. And I really said to them, you do have other options. Yes, it may be harder for you, Mm -hmm. but you can do it. And it's in those harder times that God really grows us. It's just a matter of whether or not you're going to have enough grit to make it through. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned a few times this idea of there was a crime that was committed and you're like, no excuses. But you're also like trying to balance the reality that there are nuances. There are generational things. And I think that's the piece of seeing people made in the image of God that we often miss. One, sometimes we don't even bother. We just do broad sweeps of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when we actually get to the point where we're like, okay, no, 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 everyone's made in the image of God. So I need to try to see people as made in the image of God. I think the piece that we miss is the nuance, is the context, right? Because you're right. There are generational things that can impact a singular decision that somebody makes. I think about it most with teenagers. Mm-hmm. And that's why you know your role working with juveniles, I imagine, was so hard is because the reality is the human brain isn't fully developed until you're in your lower 20s. And so when a teen is making a decision, they don't fully understand what they're doing, even as they're actively doing it. They make a decision to do something, but they don't understand all the nuances, all the constructs, all the context that actually influence that decision. Yeah. The older we get, I think we start to realize that more and more. We have a moment, you know, when somebody gets 30, 40, 50, something clicks and they're like, oh my gosh. That's why I responded in that way. Right? So like, if we're not figuring things out till decades later, then man, we can't blame a teen for some of the choices they make while also still recognizing the importance of accountability. And, yeah. And it's such a hard piece, but the neighborhood that I live in, there has been generations of hardships. There's high levels of poverty. There's high levels of drug use. There's high levels of gun violence. And there's a lot of people who would do a broad sweep of the community itself and of the individuals. But what I know is there's, I mean, really hundreds of years that have influenced what today looks like, but especially the last several decades, things that have happened that have impacted certain decisions that a person makes. And it's interesting, just yesterday, I got a call on my phone, I was doing some yard work, all it said was prison slash jail. And I'm thinking through who do I know that might be calling from jail right now? And there's a couple people that I'm in close relationship with. And one of them that I was thinking was, I didn't know why he would be there, but it was him. And it turned out that it was the charge from two years ago. He had not gone to his probation officer at some point shortly after that. And then because of the pandemic, nothing happened really. And he ended up getting picked up on a very small thing. But when they ran his name, they saw, oh, there's a warrant out for you. And But I remember conversations with him early on when he was visiting the probation officer where it was hard because he had to go south of the river, which is 10, 15, 20 minutes, and he doesn't have a car. And the bus doesn't necessarily go all the way out there. And if it can get him close, there's certain timing. And so it's a whole lot of work for him to get out there. I remember thinking about that yesterday. And on one hand, knowing he was supposed to visit this probation officer at these certain times, so not going was wrong. But also, like he doesn't have transportation and he has limited funds. And because of this 10-year plus relationship that we've been in, the way I saw and understood the situation was very different than if someone just came up to me and said, oh, yeah, this guy got pulled over for this thing and you know, locked up because he didn't go as probation officer. And my engagement with him is different because of existing relationship, because I know the story of his life and the nuances, while I also know times where he hasn't made the best of decisions. And I have to tread this balance. So how do we get better at that then? How do we get better at seeing people as made in the image of God, of showing grace, of carrying the nuance, of being able to hold people accountable while also extending grace? Also knowing, as you noted, that we all (laughs) need grace and mercy from God. Yeah, I think listening to people's stories is important. And I really don't think people overall are as interested in hearing somebody else's story outside of their own. Mm. Now, we specialize in listening to other people's (laughs) story because we want to get to the deeper root of things. But I'm going to give you an example, speaking back to what you were saying about the teenagers, especially. There was a girl that I was set to defend. She came in on something really minor. 
and talking to her, of course, I always try to find out the background. Mm-hmm. And she had lost her mother. Her dad decided to remarry. And this is kind of her way of acting out, I guess. And I had told her, you need to deal with your grief. You need to talk to your dad about how you're feeling about bringing in this other woman. And I said, if you don't, I'm telling you right now, you're going to end up pregnant. Now, her charge had nothing to do with sexual inappropriateness or anything like that. But just understanding how the mind works is when you are not properly dealing with things that are going on in your life, which is why I'm an even bigger advocate of mental health and people receiving the help that they need. You're going to make decisions that are just not healthy for you. I don't want to talk to him. That's what she kept saying. I don't want to talk to him because he just don't want to listen. I said, okay. Maybe three, four months later, I saw her again. But this time she had a different attorney. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she said, you are right. Mm -hmm. She said, I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I said, (sighs) I mean, there was nothing else that I felt like I could do other than, you know, I hope she made better decisions in the future. But again, I encourage you, get help. A lot of things that we're seeing, people are not getting help. There are people who have more access to help than other people. And if we want to see a difference, we have to sit down, listen. And this is the question I always ask. How can I serve you in this moment? I may not be able to solve all your problems or provide a solution for all your problems, but what can I do in this moment to help you? What's going to make it a bit better? And because I deal with teenagers on a regular basis through the children's ministry, I love what they came to me and said, Miss Jackie, we're not educated enough. And of course, I'm cleaning it up Mm -hmm. (laughs) the way they speak. Basically, they said, we're not educated enough to make a good decision. Can you provide us with the information, then allow us to make the decision for ourselves? And I told them, absolutely, I can do that. Because the most important part is being educated and knowing that you do have choices Mm -hmm. and then knowing how to access those choices and not being blocked from accessing those choices. We need school counselors. We need counselors in church. People need somebody that they can talk to independently. If you can talk to your family members, I think that's wonderful. But a lot of people that we're seeing getting in trouble, they don't even feel like they can talk to their family They don't feel like they're being heard, which is why I tell people as a part of my Get Heard coaching, I'm the person that hears. I listen to God and I hear what he's saying to me, but I also at the same time, I'm hearing people Mm -hmm. because that's the most important part. And I don't know anybody in this world who does not want to be heard. You have women who are super busy. They're working full time, coming home, cooking dinner, cleaning and all that. And then you have people say, well, I don't see what the big deal is. I do. (laughs) (laughs) They want to be heard and say, hey, let me take a little bit of this load off of you. It's about taking the time to listen to people, not being selfish, because we can be very, very selfish creatures. But we have to think about what God gave and how he sacrificed. He gave his only son so that we could have life. If you take five or 10 minutes a day and give yourself to somebody and listen, what type of life will blossom for the person that you're listening to? And if you can just take that time, that moment, you know, if you have children, if you just stop the business for a moment and take a moment and say, hey, buddy, how's your day been going? You'll see their face light up. They'll be like, oh my, they're really listening to me today. It makes a difference. And then you'll see improvements in behavior. I've seen all kinds of blessings as a result of the work that I've been able to do. God has blessed me to do. Just listen to people. Take yourself out of it for the moment. It's not saying that you don't take care of yourself because I really believe big in self-care. But also decide how you can care for the person next to you. How can you love your neighbor as yourself? And in all this, there's short and long game elements to it. Because we're not all called to give all things to all people all the time. No. Sometimes God does invite us to create boundaries. And sometimes he invites us to step in more than we feel like we're able to. Now, Mm. the the key difference is, who are we listening to in the midst of that? Mm. There is an importance to listening to, like you noted earlier, our own bodies. You know, your body was telling you when you're sick, you need to rest. There's important to listening to others around us right? Our own minds. 
But as believers, we know that first and foremost, if we really want to land in the space of full life and wisdom, and we got to listen to God, that's how you get to full life. That's how you get to wisdom. And so how are we listening to God in those spaces? And sometimes our desire to fix things can cause us to stay in a space longer than we really needed to Mm -hmm. because we're being driven by, I want to fix this situation. Well, some situations aren't going to get fixed the way we think they should be. Right. Addiction is a great example. Our minds say we want addiction to get fixed and the person no longer does any of the things anymore. But addiction is a lifelong journey. It's something that someone has to continue to walk through. And there may be someone who ends up landing ultimately where God wants them to be, but it takes their entire lifetime, right? But we as people may struggle in that space. But, you know, the flip side is sometimes God calls us to a place where we don't have the capacity. And if he calls us there, one of the keys is learning how God can be our sustainer in that. Yeah. So learning the times when we need to create boundaries and learning the times when we need to trust God's capacity rather than ours. And we see that throughout scripture, right? Times where people called the things that were way beyond them, that they couldn't have done it. And God allowed it to happen, Mm -hmm. either giving them the capacity or... The number of times that someone was called to lead the Israelites into battle and God's the one who fought the battle, like yeah. he thundered and the armies got destroyed. Sometimes it's a short game thing. Sometimes it's a long game thing. The key is, are we listening to God in that? I really love something you said there that really was implied, but I know also carries through in your work with coaching and with walking through life with children and their families is... You talked about how it's important for us to provide resources and support that sometimes somebody doesn't know what to do in their situation. And the very act of saying, well, here's an option can be really powerful. Where we as people can get tripped up is we could stop there. And then if the person doesn't accept what we offered them, then we can get annoyed with that. Well, I told you. If you didn't change this up, you'd get pregnant and here you are. So I'm writing you off, right? I imagine that when you saw her again, there may have been some like, man, I'd really hope this wouldn't happen, but could also imagine that it wasn't just a writing her off. And it's like, well, I'm done with her. In your heart, there was still a desire for her to thrive and still an understanding that her journey wasn't done. And I think that's the other piece of this is, yes, we can provide support and answers, but How are we also growing as believers at being better at journeying with people? Mm -hmm. You're working with children. There's probably been many moments since you've been with them from kids to graduating that you've said similar things to them. Hey, you're heading in a direction. If you don't do this, you're going to run into hardship. And then they don't do the thing and they run into hardship. And yet your role as a children's minister to them is you still love them and you still walk with them, even if they mess up one, two, 20, 50 times. Because your job isn't to fix them and make their lives pristine. It's to love them and guide them. Yeah. The parable of the prodigal son, from all we can gather, the father was a good father. And yet both his kids had junk they were dealing with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Does that mean he failed? No, because his role was to love and support and guide them. And even in the moments where they rejected his guidance, he was still looking at the road for that one son, Mm -hmm. waiting for that son to come back. And when he did... He picked up right there with the love. Mm -hmm. You've had to grow this skill set of staying at the table in your job as an attorney because when you took a case, you had to stick with it. (laughs) You've had to learn this skill set walking with kids from tiny, tiny little littles all the way to getting a diploma. And you've had to walk through this in your own life. So how do we get better at journeying with people when sometimes it can be frustrating when they don't listen or it can be hard when things go in a different direction? How do we grow this skill? I think the first thing is to know that it's not about you. Don't take it personal. Mm -hmm. It took me a while to get there. Also, I refer back to the scripture. And I know this is referring to salvation, but I just look at it in general for life. Somebody plants the seed, somebody waters, and God gives the increase. You may be there as a seed planter. You may be there as somebody who waters it. But just keep praying for the person. And watch God give the increase. No, we don't abandon people. My hope for her was definitely that she could make better decisions than what had been put before her. But another aspect of it, and this is probably one of the most important aspects of my life. When we're trying to figure out who's talking to us, what decision to make, what boundary to put in place, what next risk to take. I have 4 a.m. talks with the Lord. Hmm. 
And he started this a long time ago with me. And I was like, oh, Lord, I cannot get up at 4 a.m. praying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to get my sleep. And that's just the real part of it. Because it's been so busy. And I want to make sure I'm getting enough sleep. My eyes are not puffy and all of that. But when I started that journey and he just started waking me up, he just started waking me up at that time, regardless (laughs) of whether or not I want to be woke or not. (laughs) That's when I really commune with him. I share with him all the things that are going on in my mind and my heart. I mean, I just pour out. It is probably the most honest conversation I have of the day. And in that, I receive responses sometimes later in the day, maybe some days later or even months later. What I've talked to the Lord about, I'll eventually receive a response concerning the talk. So if you take the time to talk to the God every day, I don't care if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes. And then also making sure you're studying your word. I make sure I do devotion every morning and I try to do it even at night. So my mind is set right. I've just found that if I don't, my day does not go the same. So I take that time to just sit with God and learn from him, receive from him, get the feeling that I need. And he'll tell me what boundaries to put in place, when to step back. Very clearly, he will state to me, you don't need to deal with that person. You need to move along. And like, okay, Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of it for me. Yeah. No questions asked. I don't want to know why. <laughs> Just you move it along. And so I think that's how you'll really know where you need to go mm-hmm. as a person. You got to stay connected to him. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the vine. If you're not connected, things start happening in your life and you don't understand it. But me being connected, even if I make a mistake in something, I know I can very easily go back to God and say, okay, God, I really messed that up. And then he can tell you how to fix it. But if you're not connected to him, you're not going to have the wisdom, the direction, and you're not even going to feel like you can go to him. And so I just tell people, get started with that. Don't worry about how you've messed up, what has happened previously. Just start interacting with him on a very personal level. Get that intimate relationship going Mm -hmm. and have the most honest conversation you can ever have in your life because he's not running to tell anybody else. (laughs) You know, what's interesting is a lot of what you just shared came up in conversation I had with a friend last night. That verse came up and a few other things, and it's particularly around this idea of understanding what our role is in relationships. Because again, like our default is often that we want to fix a person's situation. But as you noted, some plant the seed and some water it, but God's the one that makes it grow. And then we're also given this title of ambassadors of Christ, Mm. right? And an ambassador's role is to represent the individual or the entity, not necessarily to do or build or be things in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this friend of mine who, you know, is currently in jail overnight, doesn't know how long he's going to be in there and thinking of this 10 year relationship. And he's been through a lot in his life. He still wrestles with things like addiction and alcoholism and unemployment and I was talking about how there have been a lot of moments where we've gotten close enough that there are times where I've been taken advantage of and times where I felt like God's invited me to step into a space knowing that I would probably get taken advantage of, Mm -hmm. knowing that there would be a cost and just reflecting on the reality that I know at this juncture that my job is not to fix this friend Mm -hmm. or to be his savior Mm -hmm. or to any of these things. What I know that God's inviting me to, all I know that God's inviting me to is to love and stay at the table. And there have been moments even in the recent months where I've been like, all right, God, is it time for me to draw a boundary here? Is it time to draw a line? And I was telling the friend of mine last night that I was talking to that there have been moments where I felt a very clear sense that God was saying to stay at the table. And sometimes it's like a subtle shift of that. It's that God hasn't released me from that yet. Mm -hmm. And I think just being able to name those things that sometimes God calls us to stay or sometimes God says it's not time to leave, not because of something we think it's going to accomplish, but because of something that he's doing that we may or may not see the fruit of. And the invitation he's giving us is to trust him to do his thing. Mm -hmm. And are we willing to be a part of that, even if it's a tiny role that doesn't show any value in our own eyes? 
you know, that's one thing for small things. It's another thing when it's a hard situation, a hard relationship, a family member that keeps on needing something or this, that, and the other. And we're wrestling with this balance of our human logic that's saying, well, they've done it this many times, they're going to do it again. Or man, this is going to cost me this, that, or the other. Like that real human logic that God doesn't say to discount, but what he invites us to is to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on our own understanding and all our ways submit to him and he will set our path straight. In other words, God's saying, you can have your own understanding, go for it. But (laughs) what are you going to be leaning on? Are you going to lean on that? Or are you going to lean fully on me? Because one of those isn't going to work out because you don't know all the nuances of life. You don't know all the generational things that that person's going through. You don't know all of what is ahead, like a pandemic or this, that, or the other. You don't know. So your human logic is always going to be limited. But if you lean on me, I know all things. I could do all things. And I know what I'm trying to accomplish. Now, it might not be what you want. <laughs> like you were saying, why'd you make me leave this job only to make me sick? What's going on? <laughs> all right. It's like, it might not be what you want, but I'm after abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. And so, yeah, just growing in our understanding of what our role actually is. I'm not the fixer. I'm not the savior. I'm an ambassador of Christ that's been called to love God and love others. And I'm going to step towards that as best as I can. Like that's our invitation. And it's a hard one that we will continue to learn how to do more and more. And we will have moments 10, 20 years from now where we'll look back and say, I'd do that differently now. But that's all right, because we're on journey. And in the same way that we're being invited to show grace and love and mercy to others on their journey, we are needing that as well from God mm-hmm. for him to show us grace and love as Jesus did with his disciples. We're needing that from God. And thank goodness. God is a loving God who is exceptionally patient and understanding with us, who knows our nuances, knows the generational things and knows the plans he has for us. And so he walks with us even in our stupidest moments. (laughs) (laughs) When he said, I told you not to do this or you're going to have this reaction. When we have that, he's like, yeah, I told you. Now let's keep on walking. Yep. Let's say somebody's listening to this and they feel like they're sitting in a space of suffering. You could answer it in one of two ways or both. Suffering like in the sense of what you had to navigate when life was going one way and God invited you to do something else. And suddenly it's like, man, what's this going to look like financially? What's going on with my health? Or someone sitting in suffering like those that you got the privilege of walking alongside, that they're in a hard situation, whether it's as an attorney or as a coach or as a pastor, you've walked with them through that. What would you say to someone who's sitting in that space now and just does not see a way forward? I would say trust the process. There's something in it for everybody involved. That is why I say everything that I've gone through, I needed to go through that Mm. so that I can know who I am, whose I am, and just be right what I consider now on one of the greatest journeys of my life. Yeah. I would have never chosen this for myself, but God knows how to choose best. Mm -hmm. My prayer and the advice I've been giving to everybody lately is tell God what it is that you desire and then allow him to manifest it in the best way he knows how. Mm. That's good. And I imagine there may be people listening that are like, oh, I want to know more about Jackie. I want to read her books. I want (laughs) to listen to her podcast. What's the best way for them to do that? You can find my books on Amazon. Uh, my name is spelled J-A-C-Q-U-I and last name is Wilson. So Jackie Wilson. And to get started with what I'm doing, you can check out the getherdcoach.com. Just start connecting and then we can go from there. Sounds good. And as we close out, is there anything else that God's putting on your heart that you would like to share? Man, you can make it. You're listening to somebody who has been through a lot in her life. My childhood was not the best. I could have easily chosen otherwise, but for God. And even as a child, God was speaking to me and I was willing to listen. I didn't make all the best decisions in my life, but this is absolutely one of the best decisions I've made and continue to walk with him. So stay in it. Don't give up. And if you need help, Seek the help that you need. If you don't get it from the first person, second person, third person, you keep going until you find somebody that you can connect with and get the help from. Because I know for myself that you can make it through.
So there's this community once that had a problem. There is a man in their community that frightened them. Now for some, they may have been afraid that he would hurt them. For others, it may have been his outburst. But whatever the reasons, they could not figure out a way to deal with them. They couldn't seem to send him away. And if they tried to lock him up, that didn't seem to work either. They managed eventually to get him on the outskirts of town, but even from there, he continued to yell, run around naked, and cut himself. They had no clue how to deal with this man. How would you deal with him? How would you respond if this man was in your community? Out of all the possible responses, one man operated differently. We hear about it in Mark 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that was happening. And then they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. When it comes to broad sweeps, this story is incredibly important, because this is a story of a man sitting and suffering, and because of broad sweeps, the people of his community not only mistreated him, but missed Jesus. From their vantage point, this was just a bad, violent man. They could not understand his violent actions or yelling, and all they knew is that it either needed to stop or he needed to go. But this guy's identity wasn't violent man. It was someone made in the image of God who was being afflicted by unclean spirits. In other words, it wasn't his fault. And instead of their go-tos of binding him in shackles, what he needed was spiritual intercession. The actions of his community because of the broad sweeps they made of him not only caused him more harm, but did nothing to make their lives better. In fact, it pushed them deeper into fear. We see this by their response to Jesus. Now Jesus came about this in a different way than the people of the town. He didn't see a violent man. He saw someone made in the image of God, afflicted by unclean spirits, and he responded accordingly. And when the man was restored, Jesus treated him with love and dignity. But the people of the town saw it, and they were filled with fear. They understood that Jesus had done something supernatural, but because of what the broad sweeps had built within them, they are afraid of what else he might do. This is an important cautionary tale for us. If we make broad sweeps of people, we may cause them more harm and not actually make our lives any better. And when we make broad sweeps of situations, we may not only miss Jesus at work in our lives, but we might actually send him away. Now the people of this town weren't bad people. They just desired safety and comfort just enough that they weren't willing to fulfill the call to love God and love others. And while we might try to look down on the people of that town, we are the people of that town so often in our lives. So often we look at someone and make a broad sweep about who they are and what their situation is. We make a broad sweep about what needs to be done. 
But what we fail to do over and over and over is look for Jesus in the midst. What we fail to do is listen for how he is inviting us to respond. Whether it's that family member that's been frustrating you or that person that you pass on the sidewalk, you may encounter somebody that your humanity will try to compartmentalize. Your invitation today is to know that Jesus equips you for love and spiritual discernment. I can tell you right now that there are people around you that are sitting in suffering that have been broadly swept and find themselves feeling a lot like this guy in the caves. But we are invited to be ambassadors of Christ, which means we have the opportunity to respond as Jesus would. We can't do this on our own, but through the Spirit, God can do miraculous things in those relationships. So if you're willing, invite God to give you eyes to see those around you as He does. Position yourself to be willing to love, and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God? <laughs>